Ladies and gentlemen of the Your Life, Your Term show, this is Anthony Molinero from the Rockstar team. I'm taking over this episode yet again. Why do you ask? Well, because of this past Saturday on October 1st, we hosted the Your Life, Your Terms event at the International Center in Mississauga. Over 800 people hungry to uh, live life on their own terms came out. Tom and Nick hosted the event. They spoke about the real estate market, where we see it headed, the economy, how we can prepare ourselves for crazy times ahead. Plus, two longtime Rockstar members, Mikhail and Lucas Weirot, shared their journey from buying student rentals to now developing 180 unit condo buildings. Accountant Cherry Chan spoke about how to use the Smith maneuver to save thousands of dollars of taxes, uh, thousands of dollars in taxes on mortgage interest. Steve Jagger spoke about tech changing the real estate game. And I think we had 12 different professionals set up in the lobby from property managers to paralegals, mortgage brokers, lawyers, estate planners, Graybrook developers, Addy Invest, single key plumbers, tenant placement experts, insurance brokers, accountants, all who specialize working with real estate investors. But more powerful than all of that was the fact that we had 800 people networking, sharing information and inspiration with each other on how to tackle this crazy mission we all have, which is to live life on our own terms. At the event, I was speaking with a young guy from Brampton who was starving to find people who who he could speak to, not only about his hopes and dreams that he wants to accomplish through real estate, but also to find the people who can show him how to actually achieve those goals. And at one point I looked around As I was speaking with them, I saw all the professionals in that lobby who I personally use myself on my team. And I told him, look, joining Rockstar has completely changed my life. Completely. Not only my financial situation and future, but it's completely elevated the people that I spend my time with. I told him the only people that I've met in life who are truly living life on their own terms are the people who I've met at Rockstar. So this guy from Brampton, he ended up signing up as a Rockstar member right after the event. I couldn't be happier for him to start his own investing journey with us here at Rockstar. And if you want to hear some more real-life investor case studies of Rockstar members who built real real estate portfolios and are now truly living life on their own terms, go to our website, rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash case dash studies and check out those quick stories. We also have a free book available on rockstarinnercircle.com simply called Your Life, Your Terms. It's completely written by Rockstar members who share their personal stories of buying real estate and structuring their lives to be exactly as they want them. There's now been thousands of Rockstar members who have built real estate portfolios and changed their lives, and we need to do a better job of sharing those stories. By the way, if you are a Rockstar Inner Circle member, the event recordings from Saturday will be available soon on the Rockstar member site. Anyways, after all of this uh, massive hoopla and event on Saturday, Tom is understandably a bit beat down, so he asked me to solo interview David Frazier on this episode. David and his wife are unstoppable. Uh, You'll hear it in this episode. They built an amazing bunky business and community from a side hustle to a full-time business with 25 employees and a factory in Rockwood, Ontario, building bunk houses for all of Canada. They were recently on Dragon's Den. They crushed it. They got to deal with all five dragons on the show, which we talk about in this episode. Really interesting to hear behind the scenes of stuff on Dragon's Den. David and Carrie's story, mindset, and resiliency is simply incredible. You'll see what I mean in this episode, so I'll leave it at that. I hope you enjoy the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay. I am live with a really interesting guy. I'm really excited to talk to him. I heard his story on uh, Contact of Our Darren, Contact of Ours Darren Mitchell's uh, podcast, and uh, this is David Frazier from Bunky Life. Thanks for having me, Anthony. I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah. So Bunky Life, what is Bunky Life quickly for anybody who's not familiar with the name? Sure. So Bunky Life, we are in the construction industry, but what we're famous for are small log cabins called bunkies that can be easily built in a weekend without needing a permit or a second mortgage. Ultimately, we help families create extra space for more meaningful connection. See, I can tell you've been on Dragon's Den because you have that pitch just just like perfectly worded. It's I put a little bit of work into that one. I'm not going to lie. It's just down to a science. Yeah. So these bunkies, so people buy them. Is this primarily for their cottages? Uh, what are the use cases? So our bread and butter with Bunky Life is I've got a cottage yep. and it's getting smaller because my family's getting bigger. So I'm running out of bedrooms. And so the Bunky is the perfect solution for that problem. That's probably 85% of our clients. There's another kind of 5% of people that are like looking to kind of like, it's, it's like maybe an office or a another kind of tertiary solution. Okay. Then there's about 10% people that are, are utilizing bunkies as an Airbnb. So it's like an, a, an actual business investment. So that might be just the average homeowner that wants to kind of have some cash flow in the backyard um, or uh, campgrounds. We also have golf courses utilizing our products to create stay and play packages. Oh, no way. Yeah. So there's a, kind of a wider range. That's our B2B end. But uh, yeah, the bread and butter is still, you know, the cottage, the families with cottages. Okay. What about at people's principal residences? Uh, also, I'd say, you know, it's a good, good chunk of them too, right? It's, it's the solution for, oh, I ran Like that's actually how I got into bunkies personally. So I live in just outside of Toronto, Ontario, um, and kind of the country. We ran out of bedrooms. We had our first kid and my family lives three hours away. Carrie's my wife lives four hours away. And so it was like, where are we going to put mom and dad when they come to visit now? So the bunkie was that solution. It was like, okay, there's a little bedroom in the backyard, essentially. They can kind of come crash there and, you know, and it basically bridge them not having to stay in a hotel or sleep on a couch. Yeah. Did you see it as an investment at any point? Like, were you planning on doing an Airbnb on them or it was just primarily for that? So, so the, the real, the reality of it was I had already rented out an Airbnb prior to building it. I had a test, a test listing on Airbnb uh, with kind of, a stock photo of the bunkie and then the view up on my little hill mm -hmm. and it people were seemed pretty keen on it so i thought yes, i'll do it so i actually got the bunkie and, and made the bunkie and, and uh started the listing so the very first day i finished the bunkie i had a guest coming i was like literally like finishing the floor and like blowing up the actual air mattress when they arrived oh wow so it was cash flow from positive right from day one yeah so you built it yourself yeah and do you have a building background so my wife and I built a second property, like basically a second house on the property. So we had been doing that. Um, and so you had yeah. your first house, you built a second house. Yeah. Technically an addition if in case the uh, town of Aaron's listening, but it's uh, <laughs> basically a second house, right? And you still needed more space. Um, well, we were like one fifth of the five year process through that house at that point. So yeah, we, we didn't have the house finished at all. We were just starting the house back when we started the bunkies, I think. Wow. Yeah. Okay. We, we, it's finished now pretty much. We have the yeah. occupancy permit. We still got to connect the two houses together but we're living in the house now. Okay. And now bunkies, is that an Ontario term? Is that kind of a... Yeah, it actually is. It traces back to like the idea of like a bunkhouse. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like a Muskoka, Ontario term, although we're getting that name out there a little more. Yeah. You know, if you think of like a little log cabin, you're in the ballpark, what a bunkie looks like. Okay. Yeah. And um, how do you transition from building one for yourself, you know, just for your parents and, and your wife's parents to stay in to now... Uh, you were just on Dragon's Den. Um, you've built this, uh, I think, really large company. It's just such a cool story. Take us maybe, you know, to the next step of, of after building your first one. So it was just, it was more like responding to what customers were saying. So people were staying in the bunkies. Like, this is amazing. So then I built a couple more mm -hmm. uh, and then I built a bathroom. So everyone could, it was kind of campground style. There's one bathroom and three units shared that one bathroom. 
So the, the Airbnb thing was blowing up and people started going, well, make me a bunkie. I want a bunkie too. So then it, you know, mm-hmm. I did a couple for friends and family and it ex- escalated from there essentially. So 2018 was our first year of seriously selling to the, the greater market. We launched a contest where we gave one away and the, the response of that was nuts. So the first year, like we, we only sold, I think 30 or 40 bunkies, but just like the, the, the buzz that we got from that, the word of mouth, um, was huge. And then I tried it again next year and we tripled and then we tripled again the next year. So we tripled twice or three times. And, uh, and in 2021, we were actually approached by one of the producers of Dragon's End and they're kind of like, Oh, you guys should really should consider trying out for the show. So yeah. they're a little, uh, video is that common for them to, to find people as opposed to people applying to be on the show? I'm not sure, but I think in this particular case, like the producer was like a fan of ours, like had been in our contests and like was kind of a fan. And so, um, they were probably looking for that niche, you know, um, that year, they, yeah. like ultimately Dragon's Den is making great television, right? So they want to make sure they've got, you know, this, this category and that category and different things that are kind of trendy at the time. So they approached us and, and but we went through the legitimate application and we got picked and, mm-hmm. and uh, then we went on the actual show. So what's the application look like? So this might've been different cause we were COVID year, but, uh, we did an online kind of quick little handy cam video, then another second edition for some producers like via zoom at that point. And this is, Hey, this is my business this is what we do. Are you, are you breaking down the numbers of your business? I think they, they asked about that, but it was, it, they weren't that concerned about the numbers. They, I think they're just thinking of it from a perspective, like, are they coherently communicating and are they, you know, not crazy? Yeah. And then do they have, and will this be entertaining yeah. show? Exactly. Because so many people get to that final pitch and, um, they just don't seem to have their numbers in line. Oh yeah. Or they haven't made a single sale yet. Yeah. And I'm like, are they setting these people up for failure? Like, what's going on? There might be a little bit of William Hung, uh, American Idol scenario going on. Like, I mean, there's, you, they got to make good TV at the end of the day, right? So, I mean, my, my whole mission that year was like, don't embarrass myself on national TV. So we, <laughs> yeah. we knew our numbers, right? Um, and yeah, you guys had your pitch down solid. We did. We and worked on it like very extensively. Like the, the week before we uh, filmed it, we I hired like a personal chef to come cook for us. Like I was like all about that pitch. It's all we cared about. Wow. Um, we pitched to any, anyone I knew who was like a good entrepreneur or we pitched to like 10 people and they all gave us feedback and we reiterated it at least 20 times. So like it had been really sanded down by the time uh, it made the TV show and then the TV show also edits. And so we really like were like kissing their butts, like, please give us a good edit. Please give us a good edit, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Were you actually saying that? Like, hey, can you no, leave this part no, in, take no, that part no. out? But we were just like, no, they're not going to let us do that. We're just trying to be really nice to everyone, which we always are anyways. But, sure. you know, because ultimately they can make you look terrible, even if you did an okay pitch. If you had a mediocre pitch, they can make you look awful if they really want to oh, with editing, yeah. right? Because That's a bit anxiety reducing, like, you know, all right, here's my national television moment. Do what you will with it. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. We did a, we did a live stream where our family watched you could watch our family watching us watch the first episode of Dragon's Den that we were on. And, uh, and I remember being like, Oh, they really cut a lot there. You know, at one point we're just like, well, they cut like half the pitch, but that's, that's what makes good TV. And they, and they, I think they really did a great edit. They kept the essentials of the story. They kept the essentials of the business. Yeah. So they kind of stuck with the hard hitting, uh, things in yeah. that pitch. Yes. Okay. So now you ended up getting a deal. I think it was the first deal with all five dragons. I think so. That's at, what, at least all five of those dragons. I'm not sure if, if there's been previous ones where everyone in on. Okay. So the, yeah. did the deal follow through? Okay. So this is the first time announcing this publicly. So uh, there's, there's what you, there's the, um, you know, the TV deal that you, that you go through and then you go through due diligence with the dragons, right? So and the next day we sold a Bunky to Arlene. She like loved the product and she was looking for a product as well. 
Um, and so, so we, we went to her house and built her and I, she's great. She's fantastic. And then we were negotiating with, with Wes Hall, uh, and his group. And so, um, you know, we were relatively proactive, like the next, we gave him a couple of days and then after we filmed, which was May, we you know, here's our numbers, here's kind of our little, you know, um, first timer, what you, we think you might need to know, what else you need to know, right? We're mm-hmm. pretty proactive and, and they were, I wouldn't say they were slow, but they weren't like super like, like fast at getting back to us. And so things just kind of like we were, we were meeting with them and we were giving numbers and stuff, but things kind of dragged on, dragged on. And all throughout this time, you know, we pitched because we wanted to put together our own manufacturing in-house, right? We wanted to have Monkey Life Manufacturing. That was basically the whole pitch. I don't know if it got through that on the TV show as well as it. As it uh, so at the time you were uh, doing your manufacturing in various different places, getting yeah, so materials we outsour- from everywhere. We were outsourcing, like we ordered some ready-made kits from Europe uh, and then we were making like a bunch of hodgepodge, like this wood shop would make this thing and this wood shop would make a window and we're, like, it was just like this plethora of wood flying around the province, sometimes okay. even from Quebec. And it was like, it was just very hard to keep control and yeah. keep quality, uh, you know, the way we wanted and keep consistency and also just get enough product, right? So, uh, you know, we saw the, having gone through that whole pitch, we saw the benefit of having in-house manufacturing. So that was what our pitch was about, right? So Just we had come to, to the mic a bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So we had to get our numbers together, right? Yeah. For the show to not embarrass ourselves on TV. And we realized like, this is actually a pretty good investment. We should just, we should do this. So we, we just act as if the deal was going through, right? Which, which we hoped it would. Ended up getting our mortgage for this, this factory. We bought the factory, we bought all the equipment. We just started doing it, right? So that mortgage was based on you getting the deal with the dragons. No, not really. Okay. Our, our cash flow was pretty good. Yeah. Like our profit was good. And, and you know, yeah, we, we, we qualified on our own basically. Okay. So we, uh, we just kind of went, went through, got the factory. So by the time they kind of got back to us, like, yeah, let's do this deal. We were kind of like, well, at this point it's like an, it's a nice to have, it's not really a need to have. Right. Mm. And then talks kind of broke down and then they resumed again when the show aired cause, cause they were like, Oh, we love you guys. And, and, uh, it wasn't, a, I don't, I wouldn't think there was any bad faith on either parties. It just didn't really like, like the, the deal didn't really gel, you know? Do you and think it was because all five people were involved and it wasn't as streamlined as maybe just dealing with one person? Let's get it done. It's possible. Yeah. Like I feel like if it had just been us and Arlene, we probably would have done something. Um, yeah. but it's hard to know. I mean, like, uh, the reality is we're not, we're not in this like software business is going to hundred X tomorrow. We're, we're in a, a pretty straightforward, um, you know, physical product business. So the potential to just blow the top off of it isn't as high. And that's kind of what a VC wants. That also, that almost seems like the bread and butter of Dragon's Den a little bit is, is investing in entrepreneurs who have physical products, you know, because you see all these gimmicky products sometimes, right? right? The better mousetrap. Right. And a lot of those times, those products will get investments if there's like a real business behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, like there's something to be said for building physical things. We're hoping that, uh, you know, if we go into a recession that our product is still going to be like a physical thing that people need. Right. That's kind of like a, we did better during COVID, the COVID recession than, than, um, than we expected. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that was a time when people were renovating their homes. Yep. They were investing in kind of their nest, right. Building the nest. Yep. And I think that, um, you know, if let's say hypothetically something like that happens again, or there's just a downturn, like, Maybe you're not going to spend that $200,000 renovation. Maybe you're just going to buy a Bunky instead. So we might be that substitute. Good. For yeah. So to go back to the original product, what is the uh, selling features of the Bunky versus uh, doing a home reno, adding an addition to your home? Why are people so interested in this product? People get really excited when you say that uh, you're not likely to have to deal with a building inspector. So that's a, we've, we've tailored our product to be uh, in, in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Like, so that is exciting. Picture you just want to add a bedroom to your house. I just want an extra bedroom, right? Like you're yeah. going to be in for a hundred grand easily. Right. Um, 
if you're if that's that's if all the permits go through it's, it's going to be a lot of a lot of dust it's going to be a lot of dealing with contractors and expenses and stuff whereas uh, with a bunky kit you can buy it you and your friends can build it in a weekend it could be like right now we have inventory like just a little tiny bit and caught up you could buy a bunky from us and like get a bunky this week and be done this weekend and like ha- and be storing your grandkids in it if you want to right wow so that's a big plus so the, the, the speed and i think like aesthetically they look good some people like the idea of a separate bedroom like like it's separate yeah you can go back there and and uh you know not have to think about the rest of the house like if you're if you're a dad with four kids like i am it's nice to have a nap cabin or an escape to get yeah to the front, right? <laughs> is that what you use it for sometimes, sometimes? <laughs> i'm not gonna lie use it a few times I'm going to work everybody yeah yeah there's yeah. so the bunkie sleeping so yeah designing the next project in here yeah exactly so how many different types of bunkies do you have do these come complete with with plumbing with with kitchen stuff like what's it look like so we just sell the shells so what you do with that is up to you okay in ontario and i think most of canada if you add plumbing you've straight into permit required land generally right so generally we'll we'll sell the shell people can add electricity or all all the bells and whistles they want it's up to them um but in general we are selling kind of six major SKUs. there's kind of three non-lofted bunkies just like a straight cabin then we sell two two ones with a loft and we just came up with a, a cat and then we sell a little kind of utility shed basically and that's a, a more like an accompaniment to the other bunkies and we and ontario just made a rule this past um quarter where you can build a shed mm-hmm. up to 160 square feet or 15 square meters but it has to be for storage purposes only so we've just put out that product what you store is up to you but we put out that product. Could be storing yeah. tools, could be storing bodies. Don't you dare say that. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, these bunkies. So they come as uh, different parts. Uh, just the lumber. Um, I'm sure they come with instructions for putting them together. Yep. Windows and doors, the locks, the keys, the screens, everything's kind of included. We manufacture it right here in Ontario. Do you need a bunch of tools to, to set these up? You need a couple ladders. You need a hammer. Um, you need a drill. They're basic tools that most people or their father-in-law will have. Okay. And what about laying a foundation for the uh, bunkie? Because they're so small, most people can get by with just like some patio stones, uh, gravel and patio stones. You can, you can go more intense if you want. If so, you're so you just even the earth out? Yeah. Put the stones down? Yeah. Maybe a bit of gravel, then put deck, deck blocks or patio stones. Yeah. Okay. And to go back to when you first uh, grew it, because now you've got momentum behind you, right? Um, but you went from building your own to building some for friends or family to then running this contest, but it seems like you would have had to already have built a community before running that contest to then market it to. Like how, how did you go from friends and family to then getting your first few customers? Cause that's always yeah, like, that that's when tough. you're like, you're a train and you're stuck. You're not moving, like getting that momentum. Zero to, you're talking about zero to one, zero yes, to one. Problem. Zero to yes. one. Okay. So for us, it was just a, we have a cool looking product. Do you want to win this? And then people enter to win. Now during this, I think it was a 30 day um, promotional contest basically, I was educating people what is, what's so great about Bunky. So I was doing these live streams. People got to know me, they got to know our, our family. I was live streams on what platform? Facebook and YouTube. Okay. There's a platform called Breestream where you can simultaneously stream to multiple platforms. And how did you get like Facebook, sure, friends and family, but on YouTube, how are you building your audience there? So they enter the contest, then they would subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Facebook channel, it's like they get into the central thing and then they, they hit all the different uh, platforms. Where would they first find out about the contest? I was sending cold traffic from Facebook to a landing page and they were opting into the contest. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Basically the, the secret sauce there. Now, what was your background before doing this? 
So I ran a, ran a wedding entertainment company and I was a professional musician. That was what I was employed doing. Okay. Cause yeah. I was going to say you must've had some sort of business experience. I ran a contest, uh, with my artist business where I gave away a house concert and it, uh, it was just a, a really cool, that. it was, it was a cool thing. Like it was a house concert. I think it did, I think we sold 10 house concerts as a result of giving one away. So it, it just made sense. Right. So I just up, applied that to the bunky concept and it, 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 it was night and day how different it was like building a wedding entertainment company was just kind of a very straightforward kind of slog to be honest. Like it was, it's, it's a great business, but it's like, what is, what does that involve? What's a wedding entertainment company? So we, we played live music for weddings generally. Okay. So yeah. you were in a band and, yep. and your niche was weddings. Yeah. And, uh, it was just, you know, you know who your people are, you market to them. It was, it was, there's a lot of great opportunities to learn how to run a business basically. Cause I was, before that I was just like a pub guy that played pubs and just, you know, um, I was a hustler, but I wouldn't have a business. There's no like, you know, sure. structure. I'm sure that was like a really cool lifestyle for a little bit. Though. It was awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. So that was my 20s basically. How many? Oh, was it? Yeah. How many times have you played Shout? The oh, wedding song. Too, too many times. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. You can never hear that song enough times mm -hmm. though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then the wedding thing to Bunky Life to you guys, you run this contest and that's the contest that kind of really blew you guys up. Yeah. And it didn't blow up the first year. Just it did well. It did comparatively to say the house concert giveaway it was like was this still a side hustle at this point yeah yeah I, we didn't really go full-time into it until year three i want to say two or three okay and when you started were you doing like going to people's cottages building it from scratch and then did you transition to the would you call it prefabricated yeah yeah there was like the first year i had the brilliant idea of um build or buy a bunkie from us get a free installation <laughs> the worst idea I've ever not very had. scalable everybody that wants everybody that wants a free installation usually lives on like an island up a hill like through a, a bunch of uh, bear traps like it was just it was a nightmare <laughs> i was <laughs> killed myself that summer so um yeah just slowly transition from um you know us doing everything to okay we don't actually do installs but here's 10 people you can call or do it like teaching people how to do it themselves right because the, the cool thing about our, our products is no one's ever tried to build it and fail. We've had grandmas build the bunkies with their kids. We've had a bunch of like older ladies together build their bunkie. They're, they're really are easy to build if you just kind of follow the instructions and, and go step by step. And you get that feeling of like, oh, like, look at what we did. We built this bunkie, right? So gratifying, it's building a, a physical yeah. thing. If I, could, if I could only focus on the people that just want to DIY, that would be amazing because the people that want it done for them tend to be, a, they don't appreciate the, the work that went into it as much, right? Um, we do, we do help people find contractors if they need to, but in general, I love the, like the families and the kids helping and the little dogs running around and like, I love, that's the, that's the essence of what we do. I really love the DIYers that get like, that's not just about the bunkie itself. It's about the connection that you're gonna have building it. It's about the connection you're going to have in it when it's there, it's going to enable you to get together. And that's like the essence. We don't just want rich people that want like a cool thing in their backyard, you know, um, Ideally, it's the people that like really understand and appreciate the meaningful connection aspect of the business. Yeah, what a fun weekend just putting that together with friends or family. Mm -hmm. And you guys seem with your marketing to really lead with that purpose. Yeah. A greater purpose of, of why you're doing it. Like at the beginning, you had beautifully summarized it into that, you know, 30 second thing of what you guys do. Um, but really, is is that the purpose that you have behind this business to, to so people can build those meaningful connections? Yeah, like for us, it it created that little bit of breathing room on our personal finances because we were renting it out on Airbnb and it created like an actual physical place to go to. So 2018, which was like kind of year one of bunky life, family went through some hardships. Um, we talked about it on the Dragon's End pitch, but basically we had a bunch of recurrent miscarriages. Real time of like, what the F's going on? Um, 
you know, grieving, like all this stuff. And the bunkie was like a, a cool thing that our parents could come and stay in, be close to us. And, uh, and just and sometimes it'd just be like, watch our other kids. So we could just like, like regroup, you know? So the bunkie for us is like more than just a physical thing in our backyard. It's like a, it's a meaningful, um, like a respite spot of respite, I guess. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it really does come across that way. And whether you intended it to or not, have you ever read the book start with why? Yeah. Simon Sinek. Yeah, Simon Sinek's book. And the premise of the book is like there's, you know, he draws out the circle almost like a bullseye and in the middle is why and then it's how and then it's what. And a lot of people in their businesses when they market, they they just talk about the what. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I sell this bunkie. It's, you know, 10 by 10. This is how you build it, whatever. The how is like, oh, we ship it to you. You know, it's, 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 these are the shipping times. This is how much it costs. But then the why is like build those meaningful connections, you know, spend more time with friends and family, have those options, earn some extra income, you know, so you can take care of your family. And like, that's like the meat and potatoes. Like that's what really draws people in. Um, you guys have built this really cool community and I feel like it's a direct result of that. Like I was looking at your Facebook before the show and you had uh, done a party for your uh, new factory. Right. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank you. You sent in that video, you had 400 people there. I think it was closer to five if you count like all of us staff and, and uh, some drop-ins. Like we had 400 people sign up, but there was a lot of people in the neighborhood that just popped in too. So we, we, we were cooking burgers and we got these like kind of two thick patties and people are coming by. And then we realized like we're like so far behind these burgers. We're like trying to mask these burgers. <laughs> yeah. So that was the only downside was that we got behind the burgers because more people came than we were anticipating. But it was, it was an amazing time. Yeah. So why are people kind of banding behind you guys in this message? I know I'm sure some of that was community support. You're saying, you know, yeah. because you are in, you're in Aaron. Yeah. The, the factory itself is in Rockwood, which is like 10 minutes from Aaron, kind okay. of between Acton and, uh, and Georgetown, if you know mm-hmm. where that is, but GTA basically. Yeah. So what, so why are people kind of banding together like that? Is it that message? Yeah. Is it just a fun community that you've built? Yeah, it is fun. Like it's, it, people have fun and, um, there's, there's something about to be said, like we've really put our face in front of the business. People know Carrie and I's story. We were like really upfront with like all the, the losses we went through. So, so not a lot of people talk about miscarriage. It's kind of like a taboo subject sort of. Um, and so we were really public about it because it helped us find other people that had gone through the same experience. So it was kind of therapeutic for us personally to, to be able to share from it. And also we realized like, man, I wish more people had talked about this. Um, cause it would be easier to go through if you know other people that have gone through it. So, uh, we made a deliberate decision to kind of share that. And that I think was the start of like, okay, these are real people. They have real, like we just share what we really do. And I think people connect with that a little bit. And then also, I mean, the product is just kind of sexy. Like you go on and you see like our, like our, the posts that do the best are not me talking. They're usually like a, just a photo of the bunkie. They look good. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Cause people, so people will set them up. They're all excited about this bunkie and then they'll send you a photo. Oh man. Some of the things our clients do with their, their bunkies are unreal. Like we have, so we have the public Facebook group that you've seen, right? Yeah. Then we have this private group. It's about a thousand people. Uh, it's everyone who's bought a bunkie or their family and friends. So it's like kind of the private, just like for, for bunky lifers and the posts on there are even better. They're, they're not always like aesthetically as awesome, but the ideas that people have and the, um, just like this one girl has this, like it's Airbnb now she's turned it into Airbnb and it's, it's looks like it's something out of like Martha Stewart magazine. It's just, it looks amazing. Right. So there's, there's that dimension that, uh, people take what we've kind of the basic bare bones that we've provided and they're, and they're riffing on it and creating things that we couldn't even have thought of. So a lot of our, our business is basically like customer, I want to say like customer created. If that makes sense. Like a lot of the content we is customer photos and a lot of the, 
ideas we have are like, oh, the reason we recommend this product is like these 10 people loved it and they, mm-hmm. they raved about it to us. So that's why we're now like, oh, you know, consider this. If that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I feel like these bunkies are very customizable. You can stain them the way you want to stain them. Obviously, decorate the way you want to decorate. Add additions uh, or, you know, plumbing is now in the territory of the inspectors and stuff. So yeah. maybe maybe avoid some of that stuff. Sometimes it happens, you know, but sometimes it yeah. doesn't. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So... Yeah, I feel like if I were to build one of these bunkies, I would be so excited about it. Obviously, it's a great time with friends and family building it. And then you want to show it off. And especially if there's this community where you can show it off and people are going to comment, be like, oh, that's so cool. And then you're going to see other people's ideas and gain inspiration from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that f- private Facebook group is the best thing like, we ever did. We did it like I think a year ago. Um, and uh, like whenever I'm kind of bummed out, because in any business, there's like stuff that's kind of just tedious, like taxes and et cetera, all, sure. the, all that stuff. I just go on the, the group and like, oh, there's people that are very happy that we're doing this, you know? So it give you, gives you guys um, some meaning behind what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it does for sure. Like we are helping people and we are making a meaningful difference in, in our greater community. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, man. Um, how much of building this community would you say has drove your business? It's hard to estimate. I, I don't know. I don't know what other businesses are doing. Like this is our first kind of bigger scale business, but we've grown it to, you know, 25 employees, our own factory, you know, customers from coast to coast, um, clients from anywhere from Vancouver Island to all the way to Cape Breton. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, you, you can get a cheaper shed. You can buy like a crappy Canadian tire shed. No offense to Canadian tire, but yeah. You, is that the competition? I, is any, is there yeah, there's like um, it's well, a very unique kind of niche. It is a it's a it's a cool niche. There's some there's a company called the Bunky Co that makes like really cool modern looking ones. They're, they're made of metal and glass kind of, and I, I respect them. There's actually a lot of great companies that are kind of in that niche. Mm-hmm. Um, not they don't look exactly the same as us, and their price point's different. But there's a lot of options, I think. Um, and there's uh, but there isn't a lot of people that I think have like really dug into the story element of like why do people do this? And I don't think there's people that have even thought about building community around it, to my knowledge, at least at least in um, Canada. Where did you learn about marketing? You clearly are dialed in. So I, I'm just a student. I'm a, I, my mentors are like Jay Abraham and um, like old school guys like David Ogilvy. I read um, anyone from the 1920s to, to like 1990s and 2000s. I, I just like to read about marketing. I think it's interesting. Um, I like Simon Sinek. Like people that like have a take on it that isn't just about making money per se. I've always tried to think, you know, where's the intersection between like what I love to do, what the world really needs and like what's profitable. And I try to find that. And Bunkies for that was that for me. Like I was, I was pretty successful as a musician, but I was never like a breakthrough success. And it was more, I realized it was more like, um, I like doing it and people like it, but it doesn't pay very well. That was like, it didn't have the third trifecta music, I wouldn't say. So what are the three? Say them again. So, uh, think about a Venn diagram, right? I've done this exercise before. It was four, and I can't remember the components. Oh, the fourth but one. Um, it was called Ikai Gay. Yeah. It was Ikagai. It was like a Japanese word, I think. Yeah. I-K-I-G-A-I. And it was, yeah, sorry, go ahead. What do I love to do? What does the world need? And what will, what will people pay for? Yes. Those are the three things. I, but there probably is a fourth There's thing. one more. There's one more. And it's so cool. It's like this like uh, Venn diagram on steroids. There's It like circles out. There's like multiple circles. And you can even get th- all three intersecting, yeah. but the, the magic is right in the center, yeah. the fourth yeah. one. And it was like one of the most valuable exercises I've ever done. Yeah, and now I'm bugging myself that there's a fourth one, but those are the three things that I'm currently on the mental level of <laughs> of being able to accept. But yeah, there's, what would the fourth one be? I'll have to Google that later. Yeah, we can, we can search it up or something yeah, later. Yeah, that's cool. 
But um, so you did you actually go through that exercise and land on Bunky Life? Were you already doing it? And you were like, hey, this this is kind of hitting everything or this this part of the business is what I want to focus on because it hits on everything. Yeah, there's there's lots of dimensions. We kind of went with it. It was a bit of an evolution. We kind of fell into it in the sense that it scratched our own itch. It solved our, our problem like as a family. And then I thought it could solve other people's problems. And then it's just evolved. So, so when we make decisions, we try to think, okay, how, is this decision going to grow the business in a way that's going to be more helpful to the world, more profitable for ourselves, and we're going to love doing, right? And so that's how that's the filter we we filter our, our future decisions against. If that makes sense. And if something only hits one of the dimensions, that's a no for sure. Hard no. If it's like two out of three, but maybe it'll it'll uh, like attempt like starting a factory. I wouldn't recommend on my worst enemies. It was like a, uh, a nerve-wracking, stressful thing. But we had to get through starting a factory to have a factory that could actually employ Canadians and make bunkies in Canada. So starting a factory sucked, but having a factory is fun. Does that <laughs> make sense? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of going through the fire to get there. Mm-hmm. You have four uh, children now, yeah. correct? Yep. Evie is eight. No, sorry. Evie just turned nine. Hope's about to turn six. Declan, who's a girl, uh, she is turning three in January. And then we, I just had a son, Owen in, uh, in April. Wow. Congrats, man. Yeah. Thanks. Especially after everything you've been through. Like, yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's, we kind of solved that whole miscarriage. Well, we think we solved the miscarriage issue, but okay. uh, that's a long, that's a long story. So that's another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the four children, how do you balance the four children with the bunky life? It seems like it's been explosive growth. Like what you were talking about on dragon's den. I think we could probably link to that video. Sure. Uh, maybe in the show notes, people can watch it. It was like an eight minute pitch. Really good. Like really well done pitch, right? Sometimes you see those pitches and you kind of cringe a bit, right? Because they weren't prepared. Yeah. And it's like, or they're so uncomfortable up there that you're like, ah, like it makes you uncomfortable. You guys, right. were, you guys were awesome. It was a Thanks. fun, uh, fun little clip. Yeah. They edited us really well. I felt like it was good at it. And, uh, and yeah, we, we knew our numbers really well. We went in there, we had, we had them cold and we, yeah. we had pitched to like 10 of our friends and, and different business associates. We had like I had a speaking coach help us out for wow. like a couple sessions. We had like, we went hard on it cause it, like, it's national TV. It's a, probably a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'd rather not be embarrassed in front of all of Canada. See, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because when I, when I watch the video and I see you on the thing, you just seem like an outgoing guy who's comfortable in front of the microphone, comfortable in front of the camera. And I was like, well, he's a professional musician, you know, yeah. of course he was, yeah. Yeah. but it's now to see the preparation behind that still, it's cool to see cause it's, it's, it's worked. It's translated. Yeah, I mean, I I can say that we went as hard as we possibly could on that pitch and left nothing on the field. And I had like a personal chef hired that week. Yeah. Before the before we the show aired because we're like I don't want to I don't want to miss any opportunity here. So I I would never hire a personal chef again probably. But that particular week I'm like we just gotta not even have to think about meals. Let's just let's just no. Why wouldn't you hire them again? It's a lot of money, man. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I, fair. I like cooking my like. I, hey, I that's like the cook- reason I don't have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like cooking my own my own food anyways. Like I enjoy that so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then back to balancing the four kids with Bunky right. Life because you've had this explosive business growth. It's amazing, but you built a, a damn factory. Like this must've taken a toll. We, so we were in Florida the entire time the factory was starting up actually. So we were, we, we purposely were, went away. We hired the right people. We, we got, um, proper consultants, proper people that have done all this stuff. So anything that we were doing, we had hired someone that had been there and done that. And that helped a lot. And we weren't there. So we got back in July and I feel like it's so easy to get sucked into little details in a business like that. Whereas when we were away, I think we actually got more, de- like the business got more done. If that makes sense. We were still kind of overseeing things and we're chatting with people every day, but we weren't physically there. 
So when I got home, I'm like, next, oh, next thing you know, I'm like sweeping the floors and like just I'm, I'm getting involved in the business. Whereas the first, uh, first six months of the factory opening, we weren't even there. We went from zero bunkies a day in March to four bunkies a day by July. It was just an incredible turnaround, scale up, whatever you want to call it. You know, we went from like zero to one that we did back with selling bunkies. We went that, did that with the factory too. It was, it was so cool to see. And the cool thing is, because I wasn't there, I can give those guys all the credit. They did it, they did it all, right? And I really didn't do anything. So it's about, for us, it was about getting the right people in the right places and, and letting them do their, their job properly. Wow. Yeah. So you were able to take that much of a break, go to... Well, it wasn't a break. I mean, I was still work, I was still selling bunkies and I was working every day. So taking in orders yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure there's enough orders to make the factory. It makes sense. Okay. So what's building a factory like? Like how big is the space? What machinery it's did you 14, need 14,000 square feet. Um, it oh, is... Uh, yeah, it's big. It's a, it's, a, it's a deal. And there's uh, some machines that cost more than my first house <laughs> in there. Wow. Yeah. Some custom machines that are like... Because there's some things that are that are make our bunkies unique that are like, you know, just got to fork over the money and get the special machine that makes it really work. So, yeah, yeah. I, I heard you mention, I think it was on Darren's podcast that you had sunk your life savings into building this factory. Yeah. So you were reinvesting into the business every year. Yeah. We, we take a salary now. Um, and we took a salary last year too. So we still going to did an okay salary, but yeah, we haven't like, um, we haven't taken out profit if that makes sense in any meaningful way yet. We just reinvested it all, reinvested it all. It's clearly working. Yeah. Um, what made you confident enough to make such a big move like that? Was it just you knew you had the business model down? You knew you the process to get a customer. It was repeatable. You had the system. That on that end, and then also on the on the production, and because we had we had um, been, you know, every part of the supply chain, we we had been a um, someone who imports kits from another comp- country. We had made our own kind of hodgepodge, and and we'd seen the pluses and minuses of all the above. And we knew exactly, we knew our numbers really well. We knew how much it's going to cost to make. Um, so we could project like, okay, if we have our own factory and we're doing this, it's, this, it's going to make sense. Basically we just knew our numbers really well. Um, and there's, so let's say, and the thing about the factory is we can make it, uh, we can proudly say it's Canadian made and we can make it to a higher quality standard. Like we really, we, we saw like, oh man, a lot of the stuff that we're importing is kind of like, um, I don't want to say like make it as cheap as you can, but there's, there's, there's some trade-offs there that they were making. And I thought, well, we could improve it and bring it cost down. Like that's a double win. Plus uh, we have our own supply chain. Like like the last couple of years, everyone's whining about supply chains, which I totally get. Um, and we, don't, we have none of that stress now. It's all in-house. Yeah. We basically, all we have to buy is wood and glass and that you can get that down the street generally. Has battling the inflation from lumber and stuff been been a struggle yeah. in the past two years? Yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but we we um, we hedge that with different different um, strategies. Like we'll take a deposit from clients, we try to buy the wood right away, so that we're not taking the risk of lumber appreciating a lot um, too too hard. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you've you're a student of marketing. Clearly, I'm sure you've studied um, your other business capabilities, the economy. It seems like inflation and stuff what's some of that other education that you've uh you've gone through for yourself to to be able to run this business well so i went to school for uh physics and math so okay nothing related to business at all but i've always run businesses like since i was like young so um i guess even yeah. as a musician you were yeah. marketing yourself. i went to the school of hard knocks that's what <laughs> i tell everybody I went to yeah that, that was kind of my i mean i learned how to yeah i learned how to hustle in the music in the personal music business then i learned how to build a 
systems in, in the wedding business and now I'm learning like how to scale a company. If that makes sense. And they're, they're all, they're all like the, the steps, the staircase stepping stone to the next step, I guess. When you say learned how to hustle, what do you mean? Pick up the phone. Like in the pub business, it was all about picking up the phone and reaching out to pubs. That was like 90% of what I did. You know, the, the playing is like, the, is like 10% of it, but it was, it was just push marketing to restaurant owners and pub owners and universities and stuff. How quickly did you figure that out after being like, hey, I want to play some music and do shows and pubs and travel? I met a, I met my very first manager was like an old school guy from the 60s and he explained what, 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 what the first step of the music business is. I never had anywhere articulate that well. He articulated that and I kind of had, I got up to a, like a thousand bucks a week within, I don't know, two, three months. Um, I don't know if that's even possible now. I don't know. I have not in the business of pub playing anymore, but back then... I, w- I was one of a f- small handful of people that did that, but, but, uh, you know, you had to, you had to like, like you had to craft what you did for the marketplace, not the other way around. A lot of musicians are like, they don't want to, uh, they, they want to do what they want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And they want to like, like completely, like they want the market to kind of form around what they're already doing. And that works for like the incredibly talented and the incredibly like lucky. But for me, I just like crafted what I did for what the audiences needed. If that makes sense or craft what the, what the restaurants needed. So, so it was like, I was a good musician. I was good at singing, but I would go around and shake everyone's hands before I played. I would go and shake everyone's hands in between sets. I would like, basically I was a smoozer, professional smoozer. Right. And that's how they used to do it back in the sixties and seventies. You were like a supplement to a restaurant or a pub and you'd go around and be kind of like the hype man for the business for that evening. Right. And so I just took on that role and I was really good at it. And I got to, I got, I met, I've met, I've shook probably hundreds of thousands of people's hands over the course of, of my career. Right. Cause I, I played 2000 shows. So I got to like, that that benefit of interacting with people in person and like you instantly know if someone likes you or if they hate you you can like like this guy's his girlfriend is like interested not interested but like his girlfriend's like kind of watching the show and he's a bit jealous you can like instantly get all this like this like subtext when you do it a thousand times right so um that was like this weird almost human education that i went through too for about 10 years of playing pubs human psychology and stuff and then also a lot of people are drunk yeah get to see people like some people are great people when they're hammered some people are terrible people and, and the, they're almost like an unfiltered version of what they already are yeah, yeah i was about to say it's like to your point about a lesson in human in humans yeah like you're dealing with people when it's like their lizard brain <laughs> yeah it's totally. the only thing operating that right? is so true it is a lizard brain yeah wow knowing what you know now uh with bunky life building a community and stuff if you went back to being a musician do you think you could take some of that carryover. Like, would there, is there anything you'd do differently? Yeah, I would systemize my marketing better, right? It was very manual. Like I said, it was very push, shaking right? hands, yeah. walking around. Yeah, but that's all I had. I had hands. I didn't have much other much else going for me. I was twenty two. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I would probably try to systemize things a bit better, and I would definitely try to make it more. Um. I mean, there's there's things you can do in marketing that that bring like draw the customer in, like magnetically attract the customer, as opposed to trying to push yourself onto the customer. And so the more you can you can give people the impression that they're being attracted to you, the, the better the marketing really, right? Can you give us an example of that? So you could scream at someone, I'm the best, right? But that's not very effective. The, be- the better thing is to, is to, to um, communicate a message that makes them come to a conclusion on their own that you're the best. And that's not even, that's pretty esoteric itself. I understand. Um, right, so a good example, this is like a J. Abraham example. Back in the 30s, I wanna say, there's like five beer companies and Slitch or Slit was at the bottom, whatever their name was, right? They're like the, the, the kind of crappy beer, right? And so everyone in the marketing was going, 
premium. We're premium. We're the premium beer. Like, we're, like everyone's just screaming the word premium at the marketplace, right? And so David Ogilvy, I believe, came in and said, like, let's talk about your process, right? And so they communicated to him what the process was. And they, they're filtering this thing and they're, you know, they're hand-selecting the, the water from Belgian monks or whatever they're doing. Right? They're doing all this intense stuff, right? And so, so David Ogilvy was like, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to, we're going to explain that. We're going to explain all the process. We're going to put that in, in a large info like like a, a long scale like communication of like what you guys do, and they're like, well, but the thing is, everyone does that, right? Everyone, all all five of us do that. And what he said was like, yeah, but no one knows that, right? Nobody, the average guy drinking beer has no idea what you guys do do to make it awesome, right? So so they went and they communicated it, and they went from five to number one, like that year. What company was that? Schlitz beer, I want to say. Oh, sorry, you said Schlitz. Yeah, Schlitz. I'm not saying it right, but yeah, that's that's the story. And and there's a, the lesson of that is like if you're gonna if you're gonna want someone to to understand something, you have you can't just like scream at them. You got to kind of show them, right? And that goes a lot lot farther than just like like everyone slaps the word premium on their crappy product. Like like what does premium mean? So that's what we try to communicate. Like our education, our marketing is all about education. It's like why why would you choose a Vunky? And then what's great about a Vunky? And Let's let's actually show you, and then better yet, let's let someone else who already owns a bunkie show you. Not me, because I'm the guy selling you a bunkie. You want to know from the guy that has no interest in in explaining why it's great. So now you're using social proof from your customers who have already bought it. So yeah. are you are you interviewing them, doing videos with them? Yeah, we have every week. We have a post from a client with the their sexy. You probably saw this on their Facebook page. Sexy photo of their bunkie, their story, why they got a bunkie, like the the whole story. Right. We try to communicate that at least once a week. Wow, and it's genuine that way. Yeah, like a really cool story uh, about a month ago. Someone's father had passed away and always wanted to have a bunkie on their little little kind of cottage island area. So they bought this bunkie from us. They brought it over there. They built it all together and they like commemorated it in like his honor, right? And that's uh, so they can always go to that bunkie and remember, remember dad. It's, it's a tangible thing that demonstrates like a really meaningful person in their life, right? And those are the stories that, those are like the real reasons people buy things is like those emotional reasons, you know? And if you can like figure out what that is and help them get there, that means a lot to people. How did they get the, the the wood and everything over? Was it just on a boat? Yeah, a lot of people buy our, our product specifically because like you can pack it down. You can take individual pieces across in like a little fishing boat if you need to. Oh, they're taking like a few two by fours at a time kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like the worst case scenario, but... Um, we can get really easily our product to an island or a peninsula or something if if you need to. Can people rent like a little pontoon boat or like a small barge almost? To, yeah, a lot of over? a lot of like lakes up in Muskoka and, and cottage country have have little pontoons you can rent or, or barges you can rent. Oh, it makes sense if yeah. so many people are on the the island or whatever. Yeah. Your point about the beer is interesting because I had uh, Coors Light. Have you ever heard on the commercials they say cold filtered? Right. Triple cold filtered. Right. Apparently every beer is right. triple cold filtered. But now if, if like, you know, I don't know, I don't drink a lot of beer. Molson comes out and goes, we're triple cold filtered. They just look like douchebag coffee cats, right? Yeah. 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 You've yeah. stolen the Coors Light thing, but it's yeah. like, no, Coors is the, the original triple cold filtered. Exactly. Even though everyone was maybe doing it for 50, 100 years. Totally. I don't really know. But um, another point on that, what was I going to say? I'd forgotten. But you're, okay, so the personality-based marketing is another aspect of your marketing. Yeah. Um. Your personality is huge. You're kind of the face of the of the brand, right? So, did that just come? Did that come from studying marketing as well? Did you just stumble into that because you started this thing and you're like, I need to get the message out there. I'm now I'm you know schmoozing the kind yeah. of world at this point, just virtually over you know live streams and stuff. Yeah, I think it just, it's all I had. It was like <laughs> all I've got is my face. I don't have like a 
a million dollars or even a thousand dollars behind me. I had, I had my face. So, and I, and I really think they're great products. Like, like I, I sell a product that I personally use that I personally believe in. So it, there's, there's no like inconsistency there. Like I can get up in front of the monkey and be like, this is legit awesome. And it's not that much money compared to what you get. So, so, um, that was all I had the first year. Right. And then we've incorporated, since we have customers now, we incorporated their stories in. So it's less about just me, but it's about, um, you know, the greater story. And, um, mm, that's yeah. what I was going to say here at rockstar. Uh, we run the rockstar inner circle membership. You know, we've got tons of, of rockstar members buying, you know, investment properties all over, you know, the greater golden horseshoe area here in Southern Ontario. And just so many interesting stories of people living life on their terms. Yeah. And they're happy to share it because it's this amazing, beautiful accomplishment, you know, mm -hmm. people building up a portfolio and then buying vacation homes in the Caribbean or in, or, or in Europe or a cottage for themselves or retiring their wife or their husband. And so we have like members of the month and yep. here at Rockstar and they share their stories. And not only is it a great way for people to kind of expose themselves and, and, and share, but it's it's just inspiring for all the other people seeing it who get motivated by those stories. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that's important because I think as 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 more and more options of like people marketing to you exist, right? There's 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 TV, there's radio, now there's like you know you can drop ads right into your cell phone. Um, you're you're less you're more credulous against like these claims of we're the best, right? And so you you're going to be more likely, I think, as time progresses, to be you know, reaching out to your friends, family, and like, who do you recommend? Who, who do you trust? Right. And, and those legitimate, like actual human beings recommending you guys are the member of the month goes so much farther than it might've like 10 years ago. Right. When it was mass media, it's, it's a more individualized, like recommendations now, I think are way more important. Um, and I think they're going to be, be increasingly more important. Right. So that's why like the customer experience has to be amazing or at least has to be like really good. What's your advice to people who want to start a business? You've now started three businesses, the pubs, the weddings, and now... Those are the ones that like like saw the light of day. There's been like 18 other ideas that probably failed. Have you there? Know? Yeah, if you go to my GoDaddy account, it's like the graveyard of dead business ideas. Oh, and just domains littered? <laughs> yeah. 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 I've, got, I've got a few of those too, actually. Yeah. 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 So, well, so what's your advice? Like the bunky thing you kind of stumbled into the musician thing. You probably wanted to do it from a young age. And then I guess from there probably stumbled into the wedding thing. Is it just your eyes were open? You, you knew you didn't want maybe the traditional path of getting a corporate job or something. You're just, you were, you were looking for opportunities. And then when they fell across your lap, you were able to jump on it. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's that one saying that like, you know, opportunities when like preparation or, I guess success is when preparation and opportunity collide. Like mm -hmm. I, I was driving to my pub gigs and I was listening to podcasts like, like this podcast, like, um, you know, marketing, like Jay Abraham stuff. Like I was, I was reading stuff and, and filling my mind with as much knowledge and as much kind of tactics and strategies I could so that when the next thing that made sense came, I was ready for it. So it wasn't like people say, Oh, did bunky life fall in your laps? Like not really like anyone could have, could have just kind of like built a bunkie and, and rented out an Airbnb, but never thought beyond that. Like I, I saw like a, the next couple steps ahead because I was like thinking that way and learning that way. So it's about for myself, it's just an ongoing education. I'm never done educating myself. I always want to grow and I always want to learn more. And I, I just generally find this stuff interesting. Like, like last year we could have, so after the dragon Den thing, we could have just like, we could have cashed out, sold the business or, or even just like slowed it down and like been millionaires, like multimillionaires. But we went to and did the factory because like, like legitimately, I think it's going to be fun. I thought it would be fun to build the factory. And it, 
was and wasn't at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like the next step of learning. So even if I do go broke building this factory, like it'll be worth it for the experience that I like got out of it. If that makes sense. How would you have stepped back just logistically speaking and kept running that business? Just, Hey, this is functioning. I can take a step back and just work on it way less and it'll still produce cash flow. I probably could have, or just, just like we had made enough money that year that like we could have just pulled the profits and be like, see everybody, you know, that yeah. would have been terrible to do our employees though. But you know, we, we, we had those opportunities. Like there was prior to getting involved in, in a, um, in a factory, we had no real like overhead other than some staff members. Mm. We didn't have a physical building. Like, yeah. it, was, it was a really like low overhead business which we, uh, we sacrificed, we didn't sacrifice that, but we made the deliberate decision to let's take this risk and let's, let's uh, you know, if we're gonna sell to Canadians, we're gonna, we're gonna push the product and we're gonna, let's, let's do it all, our, you know, in Canada. Are you just selling to Canadians now? We just started actually uh, to marketing to Michigan like as of Saturday. Nice. Yeah, so we're gonna dip our toe in the North American waters. Yeah, so Michigan because cottage country, similar. Yeah, I think it's probably like the similarest to Ontario probably or to Canada. Ish. Yeah, we're like here in Southern Ontario, we're like, you know, if you look on a map, we're like halfway through the States. Yeah. Like Michigan is actually, you yeah, know, large is portion. south of Detroit. Is it really? Yeah. So like, yeah, you don't think about that, but we're so like just in this little pocket down here. Like yeah. I was just up in Winnipeg and I was like, oh, this is Canada. <laughs> yeah. You know, this yeah, is what sure. Canada is like. People are nice here. Yeah. People are nice <laughs> and it's just sparse Yeah, and just forest and lakes and obviously just a small part of Canada, but yeah, well, not really a small part. Ontario's massive. Like the drive up to Winnipeg is the same drive from here to Orlando. You can get to Florida faster than you get to Thunder Bay. I think if you're driving. Yeah. To meet to, to the Northern part of Florida, maybe. Yeah. 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 yeah Ontario's massive. Three Texases can fit inside Ontario. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's absolutely massive. I think the way that you look at the globe, they like on the map, they like purposely emphasize uh southern like middle like they make the stuff in the equator shrink and the stuff in the north is just the way the map of the globe works so you 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 grow up in canada thinking we're smaller than we are we're huge we have so much land yeah it's insane so then michigan um you're still doing everything here but now you're shipping down across the border and stuff yeah we just sold our first spunky to a new yorkian okay new yorker uh yeah so that he's coming pick it up next week it's crazy because uh, on the outside, they people see you as the face of the business. You're doing the live streams, the videos, the Instagram, the podcast, the Dragon's Den. But th- this must be a logistical nightmare. You know, you're now you're cross-border shipping. You've got a factory. Um, you're dealing with you know shipping to cottages and stuff. Yeah. You're delivering to specific addresses. Yep. And if that address is an island in cottage country, we'll usually take it as far as the as the barge or the dock. You know, to the dock. It's up to you from there. Yeah. So do you have a full, an in-house delivery team as well? So we've partnered with a couple of great companies in Ontario that do most of our Ontario deliveries. And then we, out of province, we've got some kind of hubs and different setups um, that work pretty well. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's some there's some hiccups along the way. The only downside about our product, it's so like, everything's pre-cut. Everything is measured. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of like craftsmanship skills. You just kind of need to put it together like an IKEA project. But um, if a piece gets wrecked, everything's interdependent. So if a forklift like bangs the back of, of the package, it can be really annoying if you're in BC and we're trying to get you your piece like quickly, right? Dang. So yeah. and they're really long. Some of the, you know some 16 foot foot long pieces. So you know we're, we're because we have our own factory. That's another like big plus because we can just make it and send it the next day. That's a huge thing too. Um, so I mean, there's logistical problems with our not problems but challenges. I should, should say. Um, but you know, we're solving them and we're, because we're not another upside of not growing too fast is we can solve them like in a, in a linear way. We're not trying to scale up and like do all of North America tomorrow. We're just going to do one state and then see how that goes and ideally build, build, 
slow to move fast. Does that make sense? Okay. An interesting thing you mentioned right before we went on air was that your children are homeschooled, right? Mainly by your wife Carrie. Yeah. So why that decision, and what is that like? Well, because we we are entrepreneurs, we're we can be home, um, right? We have the option of being home. And um, I was homeschooled as a kid myself until grade nine. And I just like the idea of like you know we have our set of values. We want to transfer that to our kids, and we can be a little more deliberate about that when they're homeschooled. And also, I mean. My experience of like starting in high school, I started a public high school and I was like, this is, this is really slow moving. You know, I, I went from like, I could bang out all my school usually by about 12 o'clock and I play road hockey the rest of the day. And I, I would be in geography class in, in high school being like, why are we writing a note down? Like I'm copying a note the entire class, you know? And, uh, and just being like, this is really slow. And then by the end of high school, I'd slow down with the, with the rest of the pack. But um, you, hmm. can, you can honestly get most of your school done if you work hard in about an hour and a half. Right. Unless you're like, you know, especially those morning hours where you can get five times more done in the same hour as as an afternoon hour. Totally. Right. And you're not like going back and forth to the three, like, you know, you're one on one or one on two with your mom. Now the stigma behind uh, homeschooling, which I'm sure you might've gone through when you went into grade nine. What about socialization? Yes. So what was that like when you got into high school and especially high school? It's so clicky. And by then, you know, people have formed friend groups. Yeah. So I started halfway through grade nine because even better, (laughs) the first half was me. And you're the homeschool kid. Yeah. So that was rough. <laughs> that first half sucked. I ate every every lunch in the library by myself the, oh, uh, in grade nine. But by the end of high school, I was the, the uh, student club prime minister. I was involved in like tons of sports and stuff and, and clubs. And That seems to be a recurring theme with homeschool kids is they're just, they crush it. All these life skills that they have. Well, so there's probably two factors that one is, yes, they have the right set. Like they're scholastically, they're usually well far ahead. Like, I mean, there's no, almost no measured metric that you can't say they're not crushing like their average public school education. But the other factor is like, you know, they're, they're a group of people that are probably raised by entrepreneurs and other people that can afford to homeschool or time afford to homeschool. So it's a little bit of a self-selected group, right? It's Mm -hmm. not fully fair to say that, but for the right kid, for me, it worked for my brother. My brother had dyslexia a little bit. It worked for him really well. He, he didn't, didn't really get labeled and like, you know, there's a lot of downsides of dyslexia. There's a lot of upsides too. But he was able to kind of learn how to read on his own pace a little bit later than the average kid. He's super successful now. Um, so all my brothers, we were homeschooled at different levels. But it's not right for every kid. But for our family right now, it works. And uh, and probably uh, we'll, we might put our, one of our kids in like homeschool or like a kind of school for one day, like one day a week. There's kind of those kind of hybrid models emerging now. Oh, okay. So there's one we're looking at uh, sending our, our oldest to for one day. You know. And just, What's the purpose of that? It's like a, it's like a the one we're looking at is a classical education. So you learn some of the, like some of the old Greek philosophers and stuff like that. You learn a lot of like a little bit of Latin, a lot of things that we're oh, not wow. able to really like, we're just doing math reading like yeah. standard, like, you know, like things she's going to need in life. Um, but that, that like nice filler and the social aspect, cause my, my oldest is very competitive and I think she would benefit from other kids that are like her a little bit, but there, there's a competitive, a little bit of a competitive uh, social aspect. I think she'll benefit from that. Yeah, and they're all playing sports. You mentioned like 19 sports and activities that they're all taking part of. That you're just on one day. Just we Wednesday, we just completely get our sports out of our system, and then okay. yeah, yeah. So I, I played a lot of sports as a kid too. Yeah. So then there's the socialization aspect, like massively there, right? Being yeah. on a team and stuff, and yeah. I just before we end, I wanted to ask you about your investing strategy, like personally. Like you've clearly, you're an entrepreneur. You've invested in yourself. You know, becoming a hustler, then learning how to scale this and the marketing and everything. And that's where like 100% of your control is always in your business. Yeah. 
and you're reinvesting all the money into your business. Yep. So that's probably your biggest investment. Well, I would say all my money, but yeah, a, a good, like the vast majority, I've, when I was not broke, but when I was like, you know, making not a lot of money, I still put a lot, like 10%, 20%, which was, was like a big chunk of our disposable income into like education. And like I took uh, classes and just read as much as I could and, and learn as much as I could. So I was always investing in that type of thing. And I still am. Okay. And now you're also involved with Bitcoin. Yeah. So uh, our company took on a Bitcoin as a treasury reserve strategy um, in 2020, I want to say. So we hold some of our, our liquid uh, assets into Bitcoin. On the balance sheet. On the balance sheet. Um, that's been useful. We borrow against it sometimes when we need cash. Um, I sold some of it here and there, but in general, we have just like a buy and hold, very like lazy, um, very simple strategy with Bitcoin. Because I do think that over the long, long term, that it's it's very useful to have a uh, something outside of the um, the system where, like you know, like as as the Great British Pound just went, you can you can lose ten percent in like a course of a month. Whereas Bitcoin, I think like it's always going to be one Bitcoin is always going to be one Bitcoin. So I think that the implications of that haven't fully fleshed out. I think that we're like still in that f- period of time where it's like the cell phone was probably in like nineteen ninety five. It's like who knows what's going to happen with it. Mm-hmm. But I do think like. The way that uh, we look at the world and and the fact that you can have money that nobody has to trust. There's no trust in anybody else. You can just like, I could I could interact with someone even if I don't agree with them, even if I don't trust them, I can interact. And that's that's, a, that's, a, that's like the invention of, um, you know, modern day aqueduct. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a revolutionary invention that we haven't fully like appreciated how it's going to change things, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know there's like a lot of, there's a lot of volatility, like we were talking about too, with like the Canadian dollar price of Bitcoin. I don't worry about that at all. I just think it's like something that we wanted to slowly, um, take a position with. And, 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 uh, it's a world I think that's going to be better world when we don't have to like, it's money that no one else can F with. If that, if that's like the most like simple way of putting it. Yeah. And I like that dimension of it. I think it's going to be better for everybody. Even the people who are currently effing with money. I think it's going to be better for them too. Yeah, everybody. There's so yeah. many downstream positive effects from a sound money system. Yeah, because like, there's a lot of people that like think there's this conspiracy of evil people trying to like manipulate everything. I think it's just like you inherited a system from your dad, and he like it's like it's like a cycle of of abuse or a cycle of of whatever. Uh, you inherited it from your dad, who inherited it from his dad, and we just we're just like downstream from, you know, hundred years of just kind of looking back on it, ridiculous monetary um, practices, but. It was, it's just what my dad did, you know? Yeah. So No, the environment that you grow up in in the system dictates exactly how you operate and survive in that system. Like if you're born in a rough neighborhood and you have to do rough things to get by in life, that's like just your survival mode kicking in, right? But if you grow in like a beautiful, positive community, maybe like in Oakville where it's just safe and stuff, it's like, well, you have a different operating system to kind of get ahead. Yeah. And you, like something like, a, something like, like a new technology advance comes along, right? And it just makes more things, po- like new things possible, right? Like we used to, f- we used to kill each other over the f- like fact that you were Catholic and I was Protestant or you were this and I was that. And, and, and certain technologies came and they made it so, like we had the idea of like, let's separate church and state. It was like a revolutionary technology kind of, right? We all adopted it and we can peacefully get along and nobody really cares about that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part. Um, and I think that Bitcoin is going to do that with money. It's going to just, it's going to make it more neutral. It's not separate just, money and state. I think it's, it's, it's an idea that's worth exploring, right? Because everybody can agree that there's there's bad things happening. The other team is doing bad things. <laughs> can I agree on that? You know, if I'm blue team, then red team's bad, or green team, or purple team, or whatever. But like, wouldn't it be good if it just there wasn't as much um, p- 
power that every like if there wasn't this huge gun in the room we're all trying to grab and, and, and use against each other if it was just like oh money is just this neutral thing that like you just don't have to worry about and yeah. you don't have to trust everybody is not going to F with it yeah you know and that's what I mean there's a huge technical rabbit hole to go down with Bitcoin um, that I've gone down but that's like the conclusion I've come to right that that no one can change it it's not going to get it's not going to F with by people that just can't help themselves from effing with it if you have the option of like spending money with a, with a credit card and somebody else paid the bill, it'd be very hard not to spend that money, right? Even if, like the first month of having this like unlimited credit card, you'd be like, well, I'm only going to spend it on good things, right? But by like month 13, you'd be like boats and blow yeah. and hookers. Like you, you would, you would, right? <laughs> yeah. right? And, and there's just no way around that. Just, even as the best person gets a hold of this unlimited credit card that someone else pays the bill for, they're going to use it for stupid things. It's just, yeah, we can all be corrupted. Absolute yeah. power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. Right? That's the saying. And and the solution of like, if only the good guy had a control of the unlimited credit card, it's like, no, like there shouldn't be an unlimited credit card that you can spend where other people pay the bill. Yeah, you're not inherently born as good or bad. You're just, yeah. you know, life throws things your way. Um, and then beyond just the the positive moral effects of Bitcoin, like a hyper Bitcoin, Bitcoinization world, um, you have it on your balance sheet. I think that's just a positive business move because... It's the best performing asset um, in the past decade. And yeah. uh, if you just keep all your money in cash, it's guaranteed 100% going to go to zero given enough time. Yeah. Whereas if you keep a little bit in Bitcoin, well, it's done pretty well. You know, at least at least you have a chance of some of your balance sheet maintaining its purchasing power and going up over time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's an it's I'm that's other than bunkies. That's like the thing I'm most interested in is learning about. It's like this rabbit hole that you can just go deeply, deeply down. And I find the more people go down that rabbit hole, the more like excited they are, it's it's uh, it's it really comes across as like this get, get rich quick scheme when you're just like initially like looking at it. You're like, mm-hmm. it seems like a Ponzi scheme, right? Mm-hmm. Which I totally get and I can appreciate that. And that's how way I feel about anything other than Bitcoin. By the way, yep, I think that anything beyond Bitcoin is like uh, trying to copy fire. It's like we already have fire. Don't we don't need to reinvent fire. We've got fire. Let's just go forward and let's learn how to do things with fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, it's, it's going to change things. It's, it's already changing. It's changed me. It's changed our business because we can go into situations where like, okay, is this Dragon's Den deal going through or not guys? I don't know, but we have, we have the financial basis to, to do it ourselves. It, it, that made the difference. We probably wouldn't have done the factory. If we didn't have this like solid rock, solid financial basis to, to do it from. Yeah, well, yeah. it is interesting how it can change you morally as a person too, because you start thinking for the long term. Yeah. You start making decisions for the long term as opposed to the fiat system short-term thinking, right? You get money, the money devalues quickly. Spend that damn money before it, it devalues, right? And COVID, it's, you know, that speed has, you know, quickened, at least in the Western world. You know, there's yeah. all, all sorts of other countries where that's been a, a problem. But Yeah, you look at um, what happened. In, uh, so I read this book, When Money Dies. Have you read this book yet? No. It's a great book. It's um, It's written about the 1930s Germany, so pre-war Germany, pre-World War II Germany, right? At this point, the money the money supply was going, right, just like exponential. One. This is the Weimar hyperinflation. Yes. And what I love about the book is it goes through almost chronologically, like what was happening and then what were like the talking heads of the day saying in the papers and on the news and stuff, oh, right? God. And it's like, I mean... It, where are we at? Right. Wait, what are we so, hearing now? That what stage are we at? It's just uh, you got to read the book, and, sure. and you can you can map a lot of it onto. Like, there's times when it was like, you can't get anything. Like everything's you can't. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy anything, right? And that was like last year, right, or two years ago. Then it was like, everybody's got all this stuff for sale, and there's no money, 
right? Because it wasn't, it wasn't like we look at it as like, oh, just money went nuts, like money went just, but it was actually like there's a lot of jumps up and down in mm. between that. And so if you were, if you were levering yourself up or you were speculating, you, you could get wrecked either way if you're long or short on, on this money devaluation. I think we're, we're going to see, we're on that, that same path, right? And, um, and it's just a great book because like all the same stupid arguments that everyone's making, right? Like were made back then. People legit thought that like, even though it's, it's inflated a thousand percent, like the, the Deutsche Mark's coming back, guys. Like it's this is this is it, right? It's gonna suddenly get back to like gold parity. Like it went from like one, uh, this is approximate, but like you know one gold mark was like worth one ounce of gold or whatever to like ten thousand. It was like that exponentially bad over the course of like I think it took a decade. Mm-hmm. Right. I just want to ask you about one more thing before we wrap, and it's high cash value life insurance. That's oh, yeah. kind of the opposite. Right, that's end. how we got together. Yeah, yeah. So the high cash value life insurance. How are you using that in your business and your balance sheet? So we also invest in a. So basically, I take a life insurance policy on me, which is good because if I die, I am a bit of the face of the company. That would be bad for the company and bad for my wife and everybody. So if I die, all our debts are paid off. That's kind of like where we structured it, right? All our debts and we'd be everyone would be fine. So it protects me on the life insurance side. And then it basically accrues, accrues a cash value that I can borrow against. So if I need money for something, I can borrow against it. When I die, it'll be tax-free money. And then it compounds every year, like a certain percentage, which is roughly what it costs for me to borrow against it too. But it keeps compounding. So the power of compounding interest is never interrupted. If you borrow against it, you can just pay it back. Um, and, and the money inside the policy is still compounding, yeah. uninterrupted until the day you die. Exactly. And so it's a very interesting um, way of doing it. It's uh, it's for me. It's the other side. So Bitcoin is like the hyperinflation scenario, um, which could happen. And then there's also the uh, deflationary scenario, where money's worth more, and now you need money, and then I have access to money through that that policy. And maybe a more conservative, accessible form like asset or form of money on your balance sheet. Yeah, because in general, life insurance policies don't fluctuate with the market. If you take a big downturn in the market, your life insurance policy keeps growing. The cash value is still going up. Yeah. And so it's a more of a conservative approach. Yeah. So I, those are like two extremes of the barbell yep. that I, I, I don't really like middle of the road investments anymore. I used to have real estate and I sold it all and now I just rent out bunkies if I want to for my cash flow. That's your uh, cash flow producing yeah. thing. Although I do. I, well, and you I do have, have the cash flowing business that is growing. Yeah. 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 Where we love real estate because you can buy an income property. It's like a business in a box. It is. It is. Absolutely. And, and I had a bunch of re- real estate. Um, like I had a duplex and a, tr- and a single um, home in Windsor. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I yeah. Had that, had that and I sold it all and built a bunch of bunkies and rent those out. Yeah. Amazing, man. Dude. Yeah. What a cool story. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for taking the time and uh, just wish you nothing but the best. And uh, where can people learn more about Bunky Life? If you want to take a Bunky Life, it's B-U-N-K-I-E, life, L-I-F-E dot com. You can, you can get in our little rabbit hole. We're actually giving a Bunky away right now. If you catch this before the end of October 2022, we're giving away a Bunky right now and you can enter to win. If okay. You're not, if you're in Michigan or... Ontario. And that's on your website? Yep. Okay. And you have this beautiful book we should probably mention. Oh, sure. Uh, You have a PDF copy, which I was looking at, but you have this gorgeous uh, printed book as well. And the photos are like Instagram worthy in there, man. This is kind of along those lines we're talking about building the community and stuff. So this is like a photographer went out and met all our clients, I think in 2019, 2020, took photos of everybody's stuff. And so I wrote, I wrote the story of our family kind of, uh, you know, everything we talked about in the podcast and there's f- photos of like sexy bunkies and, and it's kind of our stories weaving in the, woven in there, I should say. And, um, and also just like, you know, tips about permits and tips about 
solar panels and power like all the all the things i've learned is kind of like embedded in this book it's got it's modeled in this book called cabin porn that a lot of our clients were already buying and i was like let's make the bunky version of that but it's a little more personal because our story's in there too yeah cool and with some extra tidbits and stuff yeah awesome man appreciate it thanks so thank much you for me, eh? thank you so much yeah cheers how cool is uh david and carrie's story uh it was just a pleasure to sit across from david and hear about his journey and his resiliency of himself and his wife very cool stuff. Uh, I'm actually going to put the link to watch their Dragon's Den pitch, which they absolutely crushed, uh, in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. Like David mentioned, I believe at the end of the show, if you go to bunkylife.com, you can check out his uh, business and his community, and you can even enter the contest to win a free bunkie that he spoke about. And we also mentioned in the show this Ikigai um, exercise I-K-I-G-A-I it's a Japanese word I believe and we couldn't remember the fourth thing but it was at the intersection of what you love what you are good at what the world needs and what you can be paid for that you can find a really purposeful you know way to live your life where you're doing what you love you're giving the world what it needs you're doing what you're good at and you're earning great money because you're doing what you can be paid for and so David seems to have found that sweet spot so it's really cool to sit across from a guy who has found that in life and I just find that really inspirational so thank you thank you David and thank you everyone for listening take care